1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Good morning, I'm Bill Butel. If you've been watching television over the past couple of hours, you've been watching the search for O.J. Simpson. And that search ended tonight under the eye of the camera outside his own front door in Brentwood, that section of Los Angeles where he lived. The lead singer of Nirvana,
2: one of the world's most popular rock bands, has been found dead at his home in Seattle. Police said Kurt Cobain had apparently shot himself and a suicide note was found nearby.. World Cup authorities are expected to announce that the Argentine captain Diego Maradona is to be sent home in disgrace after failing a drugs test. He's already admitted using a banned substance. He tested positive after a random test last Saturday. Hello everybody, welcome to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me is Jonathan Wilson and with us is Rory Smith, Chief Football Writer at the New York Times, a frequent guest on Radio 5 Live, among many others, and author of Mr. The Men Who Gave the World the Game. Rory, an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, sir. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, mate. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, today. We go so, back- so Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> An early insult there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, today we go back to a very warm afternoon at the Rose Bowl Stadium in Pasadena. It was, of course, the World Cup's second round match that finished Romania 3, Argentina 2 in the 1994 World Cup. Rory, why have you chosen this game? Well, partly because I think the ninety four World Cup kind of gets a, a bit of a
3: bum rap, to be honest, because I think it's, it's generally accepted. That it was a bad World Cup that you shouldn't like the 1994 World Cup. but it kind of <laughs> similar to Italian '90 in a way that in a it was kind of it was a low moment for global football because it wasn't very 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 entertaining. You know, it's not it's not a tournament that necessarily had a kind of defining performance from a player of a generation. It wasn't wasn't particularly attacking. A lot, of the, a lot of the sort of stars of play, a lot of the teams were moderately defensive. But I think that's a bit harsh because the most important thing about all World Cups is how old you are when you watch them. Mm. And there was something really magical to me as a 12-year-old watching the 94 World Cup precisely because England weren't in it. So because there was no focus on on any of the home nations apart from the Republic of Ireland who kind of, the rest of Britain slightly patronisingly decided to support. <laughs> you kind of had this 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 world that you didn't really know a vast amount about. Was obviously, I mean, Serie A I think was on British TV at the time, but you certainly never watched any Spanish football. You couldn't watch any French football or German football. Uh, I'm not even sure how much of like the, the European Cup slash Champions League was was broadcast, other than the final and maybe the semis. So it was all this all these players you'd never really seen play. All these all these names you'd never really heard about, all these kits that you probably wouldn't have seen that often or certainly not for four years. And I remember the whole thing has been just kind of horizon expanding, really. And this was, I think, probably the best game of the tournament. It's maybe not the most iconic game of the tournament, the most iconic game of the tournament. I don't know, maybe Tabramos's elbow on Leonardo during America against Brazil, obviously the the, um, the Bulgaria-Germany game. Maybe even the, the Italy Bulgaria semi final when Baggio kind of stole the show, uh, but this game I think was the was was two really high quality teams. This Argentina team is remembered as being a letdown and and kind of one of those sort of weird period Argentina teams where there's not that much talent. But if you look at the names in it, it's an extraordinary mm-hmm. team, and and then you have Romania who would have been completely unheralded at the start of the tournament. Um, they made the last sixteen I think in Italian ninety, didn't they? And got knocked out by the Irish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they then turned up in the States and have this incredible tournament. And I actually thought that they were they were kind of more entertaining than, than the Bulgarians who made the semi-final. And I just I fell in love with, with Romania and I fell in love with Georgie Hadji and mainly I fell in love with the idea of there being a whole football world out there that I didn't know anything about. And that's why this game is really special to me.
2: Yeah. I think that's – I very much agree with you because I was 12 years old as well when this – tournament came around and and what helped about this match in particular as with a handful of others it was at 1 local time which meant as a 12 year old boy I could watch it back home and it wasn't too late because some of the games were at 1 <laughs> 2 in the morning and so on and so forth and you'd be falling asleep um but uh, Jonathan uh, immediately Rory there saying about the the, the tournament itself um I mean what, what were your thoughts at 94 World Cup because this was pre-journalism days for you as well
4: yeah, I mean, I, I was, uh, I was uh, 18, uh, 17, 18. Um, mm. So turned 18 during the tournament. Um, your and stroke. so, the, the certainly from the quarterfinals onwards, I was on a campsite in southern France, which was brilliant. Um, yeah, everybody, <laughs> Not for everybody, everybody else on the, on the campsite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, all nationalities getting together to watch the one TV on the campsite. And. You know the 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 one thing that even in those days still brought all of you together was the desire to see Germany lose football matches, <laughs> and you know the atmosphere when the loss to Bulgaria was was sensational. Um, but I, I know what Roy means about it. It's it, it sort of it's the well I know what he means in, in in the sense that I think the age when you watch a World Cup makes a huge difference. Uh, but I, I also think this tournament is slightly undervalued. Now, yeah, you know, personally, I remember the eighty two and eighty six World Cups. They were my first two okay. World Cups. And they were both you know objectively, they were both brilliant World Cups. Great football, great storylines. Uh Italian ninety, I, I think you know, quality of football wasn't great, but particularly from uh an English or Irish perspective, fantastic storylines, Cameroon as well. And 94 didn't you know, the football wasn't as good as, as eighty two or eighty six. It didn't have the, the local resonance of of, of nineteen ninety. But you look at it and there were you know there were great storylines. You know, the whole Baggio Sacchi Drama. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting why would choose the Italy Bulgaria game. I think the Italy Nigeria game in some ways is is a sort of the, um, the, the you know the great drama for Italy in that tournament. They get over going down to ten men, and and, mm-hmm. and you know it's Baggio who's been taken off by Saki when they went down to ten men against Norway. It's Baggio who you know who who turns that game ultimately. Um, and then you've got you know I, at the time I just did not appreciate how neat and how perfect the story was. Perfect from a dramatic point of view, obviously terrible from a human point of view, of, of Maradona and the drugs ban, which is the the thing mm-hmm. that casts a shadow over over this game.
3: I think it was a tournament of moments, of really of really kind of iconic, dramatic moments. So Tosotti against Luis Enrique in the Italy Spain game as well. Oh, yeah. Is just an incredible world I don't want to come over all I love the nineteen nineties, but that is an incredible <laughs> World Cup moment. Of the the sort of the villainy and the the pain, the fact that they got away with it. The you know the Italians obviously like two penalties away from winning the tournament. Tosotti becomes this sort of this public enemy in Spain. It's the it's still I mean Luis Enrique's had a career in football that, that extended what, twenty six years beyond that. And that's still probably in the top three things I think of when I think of Luis Enrique is <laughs> yeah, Maro Tosotti broke his nose. And you had moments like that in Nigeria, the um the Rashida Yakini celebration, you had the Wilson will know his name, but the Saudi, the Saudi guy who scored that amazing goal. Zidio Waren. Zidio yeah. And you had these incredible moments. It wasn't I don't think it held together as a great tournament in the way that Germany 2006, say, holds together as a great World Cup. Well, I of, think one anti- of the problems as
4: well is that Brazil won it, but with their least interesting yeah. side ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yeah. very, very I mean, Dunga is a sort of, the, yeah, a very un-Brazilian type of central midfielder. But it, it's not... And it, yeah, okay, Romário and Bebeto, clearly great players. But it, it doesn't sort of live in the affection in a way that the 82 or even the 86 team would. And certainly not like the teams of of, of 1970 or or 58 or 62.
3: But do you not think that that's true of all the major nations, Brazil more than anybody? But the, major, the, the nature of the major nations at World Cups tends to define the character of the World Cup. So you kind of expect a it's a bit, it's a cliched, really obvious thing to say, but you kind of, if you have a strong Argentina that has a great individual player or, or has a really, you know, identifiable style, if you have a sort of machine-like Germany that grows into the tournament, if you've got a resilient Italy, you need a few of those teams to be what we expect for it to feel like a proper World Cup. And it's the tournaments where none of those things are really true. And I'd say that 2018 almost fell into that as well a little bit, that not, you know, it was won by the most kind of efficient team. But there was... The Croats, I suppose, kind of stood out as a as a team with character, but there were no great characterful teams in that tournament. Yeah, but
4: that, were out- I think the thing that makes I think the thing that makes up particularly uh, damaging for reputation ninety four is that Brazil are sort of l- uh, lumbered with these absurd expectations of how they should play. Yeah. And so ninety four was was almost a sense of disillusionment that Brazil could win the World Cup playing like that. And what does that mean for Brazil in the future? Does that mean that the romantic ideal, which is, you know, obviously is, yeah, just just how true that ever was, is, is deeply questionable. But it, it did sort of feel there's an element of disillusionment just because this is this is Brazil, the most romantic of football nations, being very unromantic.
3: But the, the other and the other thing that I think to me made '94 special to try and take us a little bit back towards the Romania game is that. I wonder if it's kind of a liminal period between eras, because you, it's before the rise of the kind of Western European superpower, mm-hmm. untouchable countries that have kind of industrialised youth development processes come to dominate. Not just kind of club football, but also like football thought. Like the, I think in socionomics, Simon Cooper and Stefan Szymanski talk about kind of the network. The football works works like all economies on networks, and the closer you are to the centre of that network, the, the greater the advantage you have. And I think what we've seen since that book was published, which would be what, late 2000s, I guess, um, it's quoted so often and it seems like even longer. Um, the, what we've basically seen is there, are, there is there is now only one network and that is the Western European network and you have to be tapped into Germany, England, Spain, Italy, France to have any hope of succeeding. And those nations are effectively untouchable. But USA 94 came between before that era, but equally after the era of Maradona, and I guess West Germany as well, um, where where the sport was a little bit more kind of I guess talent dependent almost if you had one or two outstanding players you would be good, and you got this sort of free for all, and the, in, into that into that kind of sp- space stepped Bulgaria who made the semis, Sweden who made the semis, and Romania who made the quarters and, and could easily have made the semis and I think and probably should have done as they were they were better than the Swedes. Yeah. And I think that lent it a real kind of magic because it felt, for a, for a tournament that's remembered for being quite dour, it felt incredibly unpredictable.
2: Yeah, I, I, one aspect of the, the tournament as well that can't be overlooked was the crowds. The and 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 for for this game, a second round match between Romania and Argentina, in the United States of America, ninety thousand people in attendance for that game at, at the Rose Bowl, and 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 the stadiums were full. It was. It was it was a glamorous uh, backdrop. Of course, the states often provides that, and and hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions of people probably uh, went to watch these games. Um, going back though, you, <laughs> he's been mentioned a couple of times. Maradona, he was the captain of Argentina for the first two games. Scored against uh, Greece was it in their in their opening game, and it looked like Jonathan that he might have a huge impact and and a big influence over the tournament and, and, and over Argentina. And of course he would, but not in the way that he would have wanted.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think you've got to take the story back slightly earlier than that, that mm-hmm. Argentina had won the Copa America in both 91 and 93 under Coco Basile. Um, mm-hmm. And they'd done it without Maradona. And Maradona had uh, he had his drugs ban at Napoli. He was being investigated for possession of, of drugs in Argentina uh, he owed an enormous amount in in back taxes in, in Italy, which made travel quite difficult for him. Uh, and Argentina, it, I don't, it's almost like they 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 sleepwalked sleepwalked whatever the past tense of that verb is <laughs> into their welcome qualifiers. And uh, you know they started well. They won away against Peru. They won away against Paraguay. And they're in a the group with Colombia. And I don't think they realised quite how good Colombia were. And, and obviously you know, the the ultimate experience of Colombia that that World Cup was was one of great tragedy. But going into the tournament, they they were you know, an outsider to win it, a genuine chance of yeah. winning it. It's Francisco Macharana, the Francisco Macerana, the, the 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 dentist in medellin who's sort of created this this sort of Colombian style of football that is very dynamic, it's very high tempo, but it's based around people like Valderrama and Tino Esprier and uh, Valencia, uh, Freddie Rincon. It's a very attacking, percussive style of football with Valderrama there pulling the strings. And I, I think it took a long time for people to realise how good they were. And Argentina is sort of drifting through their qualifying process and suddenly they get beaten in Bogotá and this little seed of panic is sown and then they draw it home against Paraguay and Colombia, I think they beat Peru 4-0, which meant they went ahead of Argentina in terms of goal difference. So suddenly Argentina have to beat Colombia to, to finish top of their group and qualify as of right, otherwise they're facing a playoff. And that across the game, you're one of the great humiliations of Argentinian football when they lose 5-0 at El Monumental against Colombia. And the reaction to that in Argentina is extraordinary. So two days later on Tiempo Nuevo, which is sort of the main, I don't know, like the equivalent of Newsnight or something, it's like the main current affairs, serious uh, you know, program on TV, and they dedicate a, a show to, to this humiliation. And they have Goi there, and you know, it's incredible. It's on YouTube, incredible TV, even if you can't speak Spanish. And as Rory knows, my Spanish is terrible. But just the – you'll be able to follow it just by the the, the, the faces. And you've got <laughs> Goi there, sort of ashen-faced. And one of the pundits, Jose Sanfilippo, who is uh, – a notorious, uh, what's the word for him? As a footballer, he was notoriously difficult. As a pundit, he's notoriously uh, uncompromising. Maybe it's the kindest way of putting it. Basically, a bit of a bastard. <laughs> and he just lays into Guy Cuccia. And there's Carlos Bellardo sitting at home, watching this on TV, because it's live. And he's so enraged, he drives to the studio and insists they let him on for the second half. <laughs> so you've got Bilardo in the studio trying to defend these players. And Bellardo, you know, stopped being coached in 1990. It's incredible television. But this, this is the sort of depth of feeling in Argentina. And they have to go into this playoff against Australia. And into the midst of this, suddenly you have Maradona saying, yeah, it's all right, I'll, I'll play, I'll come back. And he, he'd, he'd just started playing for Newell. So, so Maradona, when his drug span finished, played a handful of games for Sevilla when Bellardo was his coach. He managed to fall out with him because uh, Bellardo substituted him. You know, the, the man who sort of led him through two World Cups was sort of given him completely free reign in eighty six. Um, but, you know, he turns against him, starts playing for Newell's. A uh, little side fact, on his debut, they had a six-year-old doing keep-ups on the pitch. Who was that six-year-old?
2: Newell's. Justin Bieber. Yeah.
4: Lionel Messi, correct? Yep. Is that right? Uh, yeah, incredible, isn't it? That's what, uh, yeah. be, be, before, we, before we began this, I, I was saying that sometimes Argentinian history just doesn't feel quite real. It feels like it's a TV show <laughs> that they've wrapped up a bit too neatly. You you wouldn't get away with that in a real, <laughs> in, real in in a in a drama, but in real I life, this is actually what happened.
3: How on um, earth have the have the Athletic not done a feature on that yet? Well,
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by the time this goes out, they probably will have done. But... They, they <laughs> have done a
3: feature <laughs> on a on everything else. Yeah, if they're not, if they can't do that, then then cancel chance, your subscriptions.
4: Come on. Um, so the, you know, they have this two-legged play against Australia. Maradona plays reasonably well away. I and mean, he sets up a goal, which they draw. They win win, win back at the Monumental. But he then uh, Newell's changed their coach. He's only played I don't know ten or eleven games to them, something like that. And the new coach comes in and says and thinks Maradona's you know really not pulling his weight. He's a bit of a distraction. So Maradona sort of gets sidelined, or or, you know is is told to train hard and turn up and stuff like that. So Maradona just quits, and that's when you get and you, you again the footage is very easy to find. Uh, he goes out to Moreno, which is this sort of like satellite town near Buenos Aires where he has a sort of country house. Uh and he's there with some friends and journalists kind of go to try and find out what's going on. as he as he retired? And so they're at the gate and, and, and uh Madonna's friends, one of them starts masturbating at the camera, and then Madonna gets out <laughs> an air rifle and shoots four of them. Uh...
3: So <laughs> which, which of those is the is is the worst thing to do?
4: I mean, they're both pretty bad. I mean, like,
3: do you, do you, <laughs> you want to be the guy shooting, or or do you want to be the other guy?
4: Do you know what I mean? <laughs> They're both shooting in their own way, Roy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so you know, th- this then goes to court, and there's this whole kind of uh, discussion around this. Kind, of, you know, can Maradona. Can you, know, can you prosecute Maradona? Um, and then, in the midst of the legal process, is you've got various football people saying, "Oh, we should go easy on him." Yeah. He he decides. Well, I'm just. You know, just going to tell you all I am willing to captain Argentina at the World Cup Mm -mm. and as they say three months before the tournament he weighs 92 kilos and Coco Basile you know you can't say no to Maradona in Argentina so he's sort of well okay and then Maradona mysteriously drops 20 kilos before the World Cup so he goes from (laughs) 92 kilos to 72 turns Mm -hmm. up the World Cup plays pretty well against Greece scores the goal the famous celebration roaring into the camera Uh, they then play Nigeria he I think he sets up the equaliser with a back heel. Uh, and the goal scored by Kanija, who is, himself has just come back from a 13 month drug ban for <laughs> cocaine. Um, and then suddenly the news breaks. Oh, and, and you know, the end of that game, that game it's, it's played in Foxborough uh, near Boston. And the end of that game is, and again, the footage is amazing. It, it doesn't feel, it, you know, it, it, it just doesn't feel like real life. It feels like something that's been scripted. But he walks off the pitch, this nurse holds his hand because you know, right, he's been yeah. selected for the doping control. This nurse takes his hand and walks him off the pitch, and he's just grinning and waving. He, he doesn't think there's any issue at all.
2: Yeah. And
4: then the news breaks. He's failed this drugs test.
2: Incredible. Well, all right, gentlemen, let's carry on our chat about uh, the World Cup in 94, focusing on Argentina and Romania after a quick break.
3: It was after his team's victory over Nigeria on Saturday that Maradona and one other Argentine player were given random drug tests maradona's proved positive for the banned stimulant ephedrine it's a common decongestant used to treat asthma and allergies but it also helps athletes to perform better increasing blood pressure and heartbeat maradona trained with the team last night but immediately afterwards argentine officials confirmed that maradona's drug test was positive the results of a second test will be announced imminently if that's positive maradona will be thrown out of the world cup
1: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
5: This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Join me, Pete Donaldson, and Japan-based YouTuber Chris Broad every Wednesday as we offer the lowdown on what's happening in one of the most unique and exciting countries in the world. The Abroad in Japan podcast is home to all things Japan From things to do...
2: So today we've come to you guys with 12 places in Japan that nobody knows about To the bizarre... When I moved into my new apartment last year The police guy came to my door, hmm. knocked on my door I opened it, it was a policeman And he said to me, in English I am Japanese policeman <laughs> <laughs> and I went, that's the best introduction you could possibly do as a Japanese policeman <laughs> To the downright filthy And for those of you who don't know what a tenger is Pete and I did discuss how to describe it best before doing the podcast, and I'll let Pete describe what a tenger is. What is it,
5: Pete? It's a solo, male, silicon based ordinist's aid. So to speak. Brilliant. New episodes every single Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Abroad in Japan is a Stokanov production.
2: Welcome back to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. Let's turn our attention then to Romania, if if we can, gentlemen. I mean, Rory, the same as you, I, I fell in love with Romania, uh, their football team in this tournament. Hadji was there. But but if you look further into this team, I mean, Dan Petrescu, Daniel Prodin at the back, Mia Dragbela Di um Popescu, Ili Dumitrescu. Uh, Montianu, you know Radicic these were this was a this was a great romania side and one can forget especially with romania not really pulling up trees at all in the 21st century uh, we had a few moments at euro 2000 to be fair but in the 90s especially uh, at, the, at this world cup romania it's probably their golden generation you might say
3: I mean, I would have thought, so Jonathan might have have stronger views on whether it's the official Romanian golden <laughs> generation, but I think it's certainly the one that kind of captured the world's attention because obviously not only did they have the run to the quarterfinals here, they got to the last 16, as we said earlier, in um, in Italy in 1990. But then obviously there's the, the whole blonde hair thing in 98 as well, where they, yeah. they kind of became, I guess, part of the kind of the regular lineup of World Cups, like what you expected of Romania changed completely in those 10 years effectively that they became a kind of obviously not a a European superpower but but a a team that was going to be drawn at World Cups and I remember when England played them in 2000 it was it was the sense was the Romanians are dangerous you know you wouldn't Mm -hmm. want to play Romania that there is to people listening now who've who've kind of only been aware of them over the last say 15 years that will sound really weird because Romania are no longer a particularly relevant force even at a European level but in the 90s they were they were kind of a, a good World Cup team. And I think what what made it special was that it kind of came out of nowhere for people who weren't, I guess, familiar with those names. Because obviously none of them played in England. Bella Didic played in a in a European Cup final. He um, played in Jonathan two. He will...
4: played in 86. Yeah. played in 84. two, yeah. Of
3: course, yeah. He played in two, yeah. Um,
4: I mean, that, you know, that's, that's something that you're, you're, you're clearly right What you're saying about the Romanian national team. But Stour had been in two European Cup finals in the 80s.
3: Yeah. But I suppose, yeah, that's true. I suppose there's maybe enough enough time elapsed between those finals and and the '94 World Cup that perhaps some of the names would have faded from view because obviously didn't have this saturation coverage that we have now. Um, you know, the vast majority of that squad were playing for mm-hmm. Dinamo Stour or Rapid Bucharest. There was, uh, I think, Popescu was at PSV Eindhoven at that stage. Radu Chuyu was at Milan, and Hadji was at Brescia. So this is this is Hagi. Pre Barcelona, I think, isn't it? So it's not even like he'd he'd been part of that dream team that had got to the to the European Cup final. So mm. it it had this kind of mystery power. It's the same, it, completely the same with Bulgaria that these were unfamiliar names from unfamiliar teams, and because in Britain we were watching it basically without a horse in the race and without that sort of endless focus on what will England do this kind of blank slate almost suddenly appeared in this bright yellow kit uh, and their, their, their away strip was red, which was equally iconic for me. Yeah. And they had, you know, Dumitrescu was this incredibly quick winner. Papestu, Georgie Papestu was one of the most kind of elegant players you'd ever see, really. He was, and I know, think, I think he became problematic later in life, Georgie Papestu, but he was a, he was a wonderfully kind of graceful footballer for, for effectively a centre-half. Papestu was a kind of Bustling, storying, quite quick uh, attacking fullback, um, and then in the centre of it all, you had this absolute genius, who this little kind of slightly dumpy man, who in the first in the in the group stage, it wasn't the first game; it was the th- I think they played Columbia third. No, they, no, they played Columbia first. In the first game against Columbia, yeah. scored that ridiculous goal from way out on the left hand side um, that looked like a miss hit cross, but really wasn't. And he just—he seemed. I mean, Jonathan's completely right. The Maradona thing overshadowed everything, because he—it was still relatively. There would only be about ten days, I guess, between him being banned and this game happening. And it did—it did still feel as though Argentina were were the favourites, because if you looked at their lineup. You still had, you know, front two of Batistuta and Balbo, Ariel Ortega behind them. Mm-hmm. You had Fernando Redondo and Simeone in midfield. You know, these were high quality. Jose Chamot at the back. It was a really high quality team. And basically Romania were one brilliant player and all these other people whose names ended in two and you'd never heard of before, <laughs> certainly to a 12-year-old in England. Uh-huh. And the way that they just sort of feel, I remember the fearlessness of that performance and it hadn't occurred to me that I, I would have watched it all because I'd have been allowed to stay up and there would have been no question that I—that <laughs> that I, you know, that it, it was appropriate for me to watch it. Although I suppose I probably should have been at school, I wonder why I wasn't at school. Um, mm. The... And they just didn't seem to be, in any way, kind of, phased by the fact it was Argentina who'd been in the final four years before, who were a recognised kind of Argentina a football nation, and Romania just just swept them swept them off the pitch. Argentina, Argentina played quite well in that game, but Romania weren't. They didn't buckle. They weren't cowed. They weren't scared. They didn't look like underdogs, and they had this really kind of slick. Not neat, neat, neat is the word that journalists always use to describe teams that pass the ball well but they weren't neat they were slick there was a speed mm-hmm. to it that neat doesn't quite encapsulate and they they just they matched them and they they and they bettered them basically they were I mean there were endless chances yeah. for both teams but the Romanians weren't scared. and the, the, the other thing to remember about that Romanian performance was that Dumitrestri was playing up front because radichoya was I think suspended yeah and Dumitrestri was a winner he wasn't he wasn't really a striker they were effectively playing kind of with a false nine. They were, No one called it that because we weren't so horribly pretentious in the 1990s. <laughs> he uh, well, was a false nine in the, in the sense that mo- most false nines are false nines, which means someone who's not normally a striker is playing as a striker, so we'll call it a false nine. Mm-hmm. But he, he, I guess, I guess he gave them that such speed up front that they, they had that outlet that allowed them to be even slitted, to ramp it up again, to be even more kind of effervescent in the way they played and I just remember thinking throughout that tournament with Romania how how different that football looked like to the football that we saw in England at the time most of the football we saw in England at the time how technical it was how fast it was how smooth it seemed to be and how breathtaking it was and the the third goal the one that eventually proves to be the winner which is Dumitrescu slipping in Hadji on the counter-attack sums it up that it was that was not a goal that you saw that often in early 1990s British football because no. you got goals from cro- that you stole goals from crosses, and this was just this sort of sweeping move down the pitch, ending with this this brilliant kind of arcing shot past um Luis Islas, who was the Argentinian keeper, and it, it felt like football from another from another world, and it it kind of was because you you didn't really know as a twelve year old you didn't really know anything about any of these players other than that Hadji was the, the best one, and I guess if you've been a bit older and really paying attention, Bella Didic would have been quite famous. Um, but it just seemed to be kind of this breathtaking, eye catching style that you that was totally different to what you were used to. And it was hard not to be kind of captivated by that.
2: Yeah. And Rory, I should say, by the way, that the reason why you weren't at school that day was I believe the third of July nineteen ninety four was a Sunday. Oh,
3: that's, that's a relief. That is a, <laughs> yes, exactly, I was assuming yeah. it it must have been half term or something, but no, that was a Sunday. That's all right. I wasn't good to know I wasn't striving. I'm sure I didn't <laughs> to be fair, I'm sure I'm sure I did strive I'm sure I did strive school at points during that World Cup just to watch it.
2: It, don't um, worry, this is not confession. Um, although sometimes it may feel,
3: feel like a, it, though. Mm. St- you know, st- I mean, the stalls are short at the moment. Stay in school <laughs> once they reopen again, I guess, is my <laughs> advice to children.
0: Um,
3: right but up. it was. It, there were moments like that throughout that tournament where where you just... And it was a really interesting time to be an English football fan, which is not normally a thing that is interesting, because that summer, was. Re- because England weren't there, I kind of get this impression now, looking back, that there were just loads of scouts for English teams. Who who hadn't been able to sort of scam their clubs to to pay them for a, to pay for a flight to the states to let them sort of schlep around the US for a month uh, and just watching on TV thinking oh god he's good he's good he's good I'll sign him because the the number of players who very clearly got moved to England in the in the following year based purely on having been quite good at USA 94, is extraordinary. So you get like Mark Hottager, Philippe Albert, players like that. They all come because they clearly impressed people watching. And it, it was the summer that kind of all of these influences started sort of flooding into English football.
2: Well, Dmitrescu himself, of course, would, would um, um, end up. And Popescu. And Popescu uh, And Popescu at the time, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, Jonathan, the... the, the you know, it's a good Romanian side, obviously. We, we, we've talked about that. But what about the man who was in charge, you know, Angel Iordanescu, the Stoia legend? You know, he'd won a European Cup there as a player and then only a few years later, as a manager, guided them to the final. What, what's the... Because when he left uh, Romania in 1998, I, I believe he was sort of criticised a bit and so on. How How do you view him as, as a manager of that Romania side?
4: Well, I mean, his his impact on the 86 side i mean that, that that's an astonishing sorry he was i think he was 35 i mm-hmm. think he hadn't played all season and he was suddenly named in the like 16 i guess it would have been the match day squad for the final and there was the genuinely sort of some cup worries finals. is this for the european cup final mm-hmm. people were saying is he definitely still registered as a player and then they bring him on I can't remember if it was sort of eighty minutes or so, or you know, for extra time, basically just to calm everybody down, because he was seen as being this very—you um, know, had a great authority, was was very unflappable, um, had a great sort of football intelligence of how you could sort of use the ball and make sure you didn't didn't lose it. So, and I think that sort of carried over into his management. He was very much of that of that Stour school of of, of um, you know, technical. Uh, passing, dribbling football. And you see that with, with this side. You know, it, it, it is set up around the fluidity of of Hadji and, uh, and Dimitrescu. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think as well, that was the worst type of football that Argentina could have faced. Because um, I don't want to keep going on about Maradona, but I think this is significant. The, Argentina had won their first two group games. They then play Bulgaria. They go 1-0 down. Bulgaria have a man sent off. I had 60 odd minutes, every man sent off. And at that point, with Argentina 1 0 down, Argentina are going to finish top of the group. Mm-hmm. And the last minute against 10 men, they concede to Nasko Shirakov. And that means they finish third, not top. And what that meant was that rather than playing Italy in Foxborough, I think it was Foxborough, Italy on the East Coast anyway.
3: Yeah, it was Foxborough.
4: They had to fly seven time zones to LA to go to Pasadena. To, to To play Romania in the heat. And I think a combination of, I mean, Saki talks a lot about how difficult that was for Italy. He played um, yeah, all the way through the semi-final. They played in the East Coast, suddenly had to go to Pasadena for the final. And Argentina were having to do that midway through the tournament with the, the psychological damage of their absolute icon having failed a drug test and not being there. And you're, Remarkably, didn't go home, stayed out in the US and got $1.3 million to do TV punditry, which he spent just saying, it's all fixed against us, we can't possibly win. <laughs> and then they, they get in this incredible heat to, to the West Coast. They, they've got whatever jet lag and all, and all that kind of thing. And they find this team who are you know, not, not rated right as highly as they should be, who suddenly just pass them to death, playing this incredible, quick, slick, to use Rory's word, football.
3: um, There was a theory that the Argentinians had deliberately thrown the game against Bulgaria because they fancied Romania more than they fancied Italy. And I I presume that the idea of playing Italy in in Boston, whether I guess there's a large Italian community, that's true of pretty much every American city, I think, but particularly in Boston and New York, there's large Italian communities. I think there was a theory at the time that that maybe the Argentinians had decided, actually, do you know what, we fancy the Romanians a little bit more than the Italians, so let's just ship an equaliser, we'll still go through. Caniggia, I know, denied it and said, you, you, effectively, you can't pick your opponent, so we wouldn't have done that. Um, and he, he very much said, look, we're still reeling from the loss of Mar- Maradona, so what do you expect us to do? Uh, and I, I'd like to think that, that the Argentinians at that stage would have been savvy enough to think, look, we need to get through, the Romanians won't be that easy, and we don't particularly want to have to go to L.A., you know for a quick turnaround in it, yeah, as you say it's how many different time zones away and about ten degrees warmer um but there, there was a sense that the Romanians were the were the underdogs, and I guess that that's that 's unavoidable because it 's argentina and you you know you expect argentina to to be good at tournaments, especially because that team had lost the previous final won the world cup before that they they were a an elite sort of superpower, and the Romanians were effectively i don 't know kind of who would be their equivalent now? Like Mexico, maybe that sort of team awesome. that sort of did okay at World Cup, something like that. Um, but as Jonathan says, I think the Argentinians just didn't, just couldn't cope with the way the Romanians played, and and I wonder if that was that was a point at which a slightly more. Did you go through that Argentinian team? And that there is there is ruggedness in in the back in the back five, and the and. It's a bit harsh on Redondo to call him as rugged, but he had that side that he did have that side to his game. Simeone obviously rugged. Jose Basualdo, rugged. Roberto Sansini, rugged. Oscar Ruggieri is in his surname. Chamor yes. Caceres. They are, <laughs> the, you know, that it was that typical kind of big grizzled defender. And I wonder whether this is one of those moments, one of a lot of moments, where people realise, all right, maybe that's not going to work anymore against a much quicker. Technical style of football. You don't you don't need these big sort of hulking players wandering about at the back. You need someone who can respond to the to the kind of rapier style of attacking that that Romania had, particularly in that game because Dumitrescu was up front.
4: Well, and, and mm. the great thing for Romania was that they they just started perfectly. You know, yes. they they start on the front foot. Eleven minutes in, they get a free kick on the left, and actually a very similar position to that from which Hadji had scored against Colombia, and Dumitrescu. I mean, there's no question that Dembescu is shooting. It's not a position for which many people would shoot, but he picks out the top corner from from way out on the left, and suddenly, you know, any any doubt Romania had that you know, can we can we cope with this 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 side have, have gone.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And then then you obviously get uh, Batistuta dive in for a penalty five minutes later. <laughs> Glad you um, said that. And it is, I mean, it is a, it's an extraordinary dive. It's a miracle. It, it was um, referee. Well, was... I, I, see, um,
4: I think it might be a foul, but the dive's got nothing to do with the contact was made on him.
3: No, but yeah, well, that, right. that's maybe a, that's that's maybe a diplomatic way of putting it. Because obviously, we don't oh, want I to. I think it's a very harsh penalty. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd beginning. be disappointed. You'd be disappointed. Hmm. And so so then... he, sort of,
4: he turns back inside Daniel Prodan, and Prodan just puts an arm across him, and suddenly, back, see his legs flick up like he's he's been tripped.
3: The um. And then he he converts the penalty, obviously. Um, and we, you know, you, it's Gabriel Batistuta. We don't want to kind of use sure. his name in vain, the Angel Gabriel. But um, <laughs> that's the point at which Romania might buckle, and they think they might just. Bear in mind that was that was Batistuta probably falling enough, at the start of his peak Yes, like he was, but recognised as one of the best strikers in the world. This sort of uniquely dangerous, um, quick, good in the air. I mean, basically a complete striker, and mm-hmm. he's. He, up front with him because just Maradona and teenager aren't there? Is um is Abel Balbo who who I think of now basically as a sort of slightly trundling thirty four year old because that's that's kind of what he seemed to be for about ten years. But at that time he was he was a very useful, quite sort of strong but but technically adept striker. Both of them in Serie A. You've got obviously a midfield of Redondo and Simeone. That's that there's, there's an abundance of class there. Ariel Ortega was, the, was at that stage still the next Maradona. He was the, the coming superstar. And the Romanians at that point, in fact, in most, in most sort of football histories, in most of these incidences, what happens is as soon as the big the big team remembers, oh yeah, we can play, the little team kind of crumbles a little bit. But Romania scored two minutes later, and it's a brilliant finish. It's another. Oh, I think a it's another beautiful goal. Another. I think it's another Hadji through ball. It's a, yeah, it's do, it's a, it's a yeah. pair
4: of one twos. Yeah, it's just, it's so a, it's Hadji to Dimitrescu, Dimitrescu to Hadji, and then just a l- beautiful clip ball. It's the perfect pass, and Dimitrescu runs onto it. And the thing with the finish is just the awareness of mm-hmm. the pace of the ball that's coming to him. You know, the the, yeah. the the awareness of his own stride pattern, the awareness aware of, of where Islas is, and just the, the the tiny little touch on it, just to just to knock it past Islas. <laughs> It's, it's the absolute it's,
3: goal. The yeah. genius of it is that it's the wrong touch. It's not. I don't. You very rarely see goals scored like that. He puts it. He doesn't. As you watch it, that's not where you expect Dumitrescu to put it, and it yeah. makes it actually makes his last look a little bit stupid. And you think, oh, God, how's that? Because so it sort of, it almost trickles in, doesn't it? It doesn't, it's not kind of a, it's not swept home with great, with 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 great sort of pizzazz. It's not a powerful finish. He just sort of trickles it in and you think, God, that's bad goalkeeping. But you watch it again and you think, well, yeah, he's completely done him. And he's almost put his, the way that he shapes his body is incredibly difficult to do Does it's not, it's not the finish that you, it's the finish that you, i for a journalist. I'm definitely no, I, describing I, I, I totally... what's happening on, on a pitch, but yeah. you expect him to basically to go across the goal. He should sweep yeah, it across exactly the goal, but he doesn't. There's
4: basically two things he can do there. One is take a touch, or if he's going to hit it first time, he sort of swings through it and hits it, you know, across goal into the left hand post. And he does neither. It's sort of a little. I don't want to say a stab because the stab sort of makes it no, sound it's with, sort of slightly like like uncouth. It's with his instep. Little, it's
3: with his instep. Yeah,
4: it's a little caress into the, you know into the other corner. Mm. It's um,
3: and, yeah. it, and it completely falls. I mean, his last looks his last, I think, just stands there. I, I think
2: he 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 cannot compute what Dimitrescu was done. Basically, mm-hmm. it was one of the goals of the tournament for for my money, and that is that was the epitome of that slickness that you've you've mentioned, Rory. It was absolutely stunning, and Hadji in the in the build up to that goal with a phenomenal pass, and then of course into the second half, him and Dimitrescu again. Um, they they break away, Dimitrescu runs down the pitch, you've already mentioned it, puts his foot on the ball and Hadji scores. I mean, Jonathan, you mentioned about how, you know, if you were to script things, you know, sometimes things are wrapped up in, in too neat a package. But Hadji, I don't, I can't, remember, I don't know whether this nickname was before or after this tournament. nicknamed the Maradona of the uh, the Capathians or the Capathians, forgive pronunciation. Uh, plays not too dissimilarly to Maradona, a similar temperament of a man. W- was there a kind of changing of the guard there, or am I trying to wrap that up too neatly? Do you think?
4: Oh well, I, the thing I was going to say there, which is, I, I'm not unrelated to what you're talking about, is mm-hmm. that that little little hold up of of, uh, Dimitrescu and he's got he's got a player goes to his left I can't remember who that is but there's two two opportunities he has to lay him in and he doesn't he waits because he's waiting for the better opportunity and that Hmm. moment of stillness is such an Argentinian phenomenon La Pausa and it's the thing that Argentinians talk about more than anything else is you know is that moment of stillness before the final pass and Dimitrescu does it to them and then, yeah, Hadji running on, and again, it's he doesn't have to take it first time, but just for the aesthetic, it's good that he does. <laughs> he he takes it right footed, which I guess Maradona probably wouldn't have done. But but yeah, I mean, you can see why why the comparison is drawn. That yeah, physically they're quite similar in 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 being sort of sort of short squat figures, which I guess gives them a low center of gravity, allows them to turn as, as sharply as they do. They both have that profound sort of game intelligence. Uh, they both have a uh, a feistiness, uh, though I think mm. far more self-destructive in Maradona's case. Um, but it is—it's just a—it's one—it's one of those goals. As soon as the pass is played, you just think and hit it first time, and let it go in, because you want the you know, you you want the goal to be complete. You want it to be finished off as perfectly as possible, and and it is.
3: It's interesting, Marcus, that you mentioned a change into the guard because Hatchi was twenty nine at that tournament. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and Maradona was 33 so they're only four years yeah. between them mm. and if you think about their career arcs Haji would go that summer to Barcelona he'd already been at Real Madrid in fairness and it hadn't really worked out but he does that summer to Barcelona has two years there then goes to Galatasaray and and plays until 2001 or 2002 mm. and Haji feels almost not quite but almost like a player of the modern era whereas Maradona yeah. feels like a Player from the the era previous to that, the sort of pre nineteen ninety two era, and yeah. there were only four years between them, and they they were both in that in the stadium that day, and yet they, you know, Maradona was very much at the end of his career, whereas Hadji was probably probably at the beginning of the second phase, almost really. Does Barcelona and the gave we, him a new, a new lease of life?
4: I wonder if taking loads of cocaine isn't good for your career.
3: Oh, yeah, I mean, possibly that <laughs> we there has to be a lot more research done on that.
2: Yeah, but it just—it does, it does make know. you
3: think that if, if Maradona, Mar, you know, the, the, Jonathan talks a lot about the, about the the sort of the narrative elements of Argentinian football history, and it does it does function like a story, and Maradona is has that kind of arc of a of a proper character that obviously, like all all great stories, ends with him screaming at people in, in a stadium in <laughs> Moscow, twenty four years later, but <laughs> the um, the and then going to Cuba for some reason, um, but you. you Maradona wasn't so old at that tournament that he that it had to end like that. Maradona could easily have, if he was if he wasn't Maradona, that could easily have been his you know his the third World Cup that he dominated, if it wasn't for his self-destructive tendencies and ephedrine. Five different types yeah. of
4: ephedrine, apparently. It seems no, a no lot this of... is a, this is a myth. of five different types. Oh, is that a myth? Yeah, and, and I, I got it wrong in Angel Dirty Faces. I've done subsequent research on it, it's uh, when you take uh, whatever supplement it was he took, which contained ephedrine. Uh, or at least his excuse was that a US version of this drug or this supplement contained ephedrine, whereas the, the argentine version didn't. But it's uh, when it metabolizes, it breaks down the five different components. So it was regularly written as being a cocktail of five drugs. It's not as just right. it's how it manifests when you test it after the body's processed it.
3: So it's not that he kind of got, got, got like one bit of ephedrine and thought, well, this is almost it, but not quite. Let's try this type of ephedrine. <laughs> it was, it I was mean, yeah. He, yeah, he lost 20 his name kilos the in here, three
4: months. Then. Something weird was mm. going on. Um, Maybe he, he was on the probably... paleo diet. Well, <laughs> <But laughs> he, he was. was he famously kids, had it. a long spell where he only drank juice. Like he didn't. He wouldn't. Wouldn't eat anything. He had several weeks of being on juice only to try and lose weight. Gwyneth
3: Paltrow could put that on a website and sell it to people. Let's not criticize Maradona. Absolutely. Yeah. I think
2: Maradona's, Maradona's <laughs> a before and after. She couldn't. Maradona's name <laughs> has suffered enough, Jonathan. I feel. But yeah, I, I, I it, Rory. This is. It's. it's been great talking to you about uh, about this game and, and Maradona and hadji and and I suppose just to finish my point with hadji is that the way hadji's international career finished if I remember correctly is him being sent off against I think it was Italy in euro 2000 when he gets a second yellow for diving and he's kind of ushered off the pitch and he's effing and blinding at the referee and, and so on and so forth and it kind of ended in a bit of disgrace but in the twilight of his career you know his best times in football you'd probably say in terms of trophies we're at Galatasaray where he won the league and um, UEFA Cup and, and, went Trump, and so yeah. on yeah exactly yeah. and not too dissimilar to Maradona and Napoli I know obviously Serie A is a far bigger uh, league in, in in pretty much every sense you know but uh, I, I think the parallels of, of, of the two are quite interesting
4: well I mean don't forget Mark because he was sent off in that UEFA Cup final as well oh yeah so he was oh well, he was wasn't
1: he yeah yeah yeah. He's the, yeah yeah.
3: The um the the Maradona of the Carpathians tag didn't wasn't just the technical ability. I think there were other similarities. It it feels inherently mm. trite and a bit kind of yes. oh just told calling the Maradona of the something and, and it'll be fine. And I'm not mm. sure whether whether that was a nickname that was given to him from outside Romania or whether anybody actually told him that in Romania. Mm. Um, but I think the, the parallels between them ran. Obviously, not the full, not the full gamut. As as Jonathan mentions, Maradona very much kept the cocaine to himself, which is part of the problem, I suppose. Um, the whereas Hadji Hadji's temperamental side was was there; it wasn't sort of narcotic induced or anything like that. The but there was a, there was an element. But then I guess maybe you need that. Maybe you need that to be that sort of player to be that kind of impulsive genius. You have to well, be. I impulsive think there's and also comes with, comes they, at they, a cost.
4: Are, they are both outsiders, right? The you know, Maradona. Um, is of indigenous heritage. Um, Haji uh, is of Macedonian heritage, which you know, there is an ethnic difference within Romania. So you neither know, they, they neither of them have sort of come through a sort of comfortable route. They, they're both sort of outsiders within their own communities to an extent. And I, you know, I wonder if that sort of conditions that kind of mentality as well, that maybe don't quite trust the establishment at any point. And obviously, if you take enormous amounts of cocaine, a certain amount of paranoia is then in, induced.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Um Well, gentlemen, we could we could talk for the rest of the, the rest of the afternoon, I'm sure, about Hadji and Maradona and so on. But we have to finish there. But Rory, it's been a real pleasure talking to you about uh, about this match in the wider context of of USA '94 and the careers of Maradona and Hadji. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast.
3: No, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. I'm going to go and watch that with Dress Dude on YouTube again. Yeah, that's, my, yeah. that's my plan for the afternoon. everybody.
2: Everybody should do that straight away, if you haven't done already. Um, For more stories like this, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. But thank you again, Rory. Uh, Thank you, Jonathan, of course. And thank you, everybody. Uh, We'll see you next week for another great game in the history of football. Cheers
5: cei meșe în fața lui un singur a și al doilea. pe partea România!
0: This